It's now time for the Billy C Show. Part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizza and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com, or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons for an authentic Italian Meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week television channel. That's right, Billy C. Boxing is available on Ginnico USA uh, Television, which is uh, through all of the major streaming uh, channels like Roku, etc. So uh, make sure you check it out, GinnicoUSA.com. Sign up right now and make sure you use the uh, code Billy C. Uh, and finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by, you guessed it, my book, Tom Molino from Bondage to Better Man on Planet is available right here, right, right, right here, right now, right now, while you're watching or listening to this show. Just uh, go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. If you're looking to get a signed copy, don't worry about it. Just drop me an email, billy at talking boxing. I'll spell it for you, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, and uh, I'll hook you up. Um, coming up a little bit later, later on the show, uh, we have, uh, our normal, uh, suspects in crime or what's that term? Eh, whatever. It's been a while, man. Yeah. We've been having some, uh, uh, issues. We did a, a, a big system upgrade and, uh, the handshaking was, uh, was a little, uh, shaky if you know what I mean. So I apologize for that. Uh, I've been getting a lot of emails. What happened? What are you doing? Phone calls. Oh, how, where do I find you now? Would you move? You know, no, 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 no. Um, but uh, you can always check us out on Ginnico USA uh, or uh, go to YouTube, youtube.com slash talkingboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Shout out to all of our radio affiliates. Uh, we're glad to uh, have you part of the family. All right, let's start with the show right now. Um, in some fights, you know, I... There's so many topics I wanted to talk about over the last several weeks and uh, just didn't get the opportunity. But, um, you know, I, I, here's the thing. You know, last night, um, you know, uh, we got uh, a fight in the middleweight division. And I got uh, a couple of decent emails, one specifically from my man Mitch, um, actually two from Mitch, but uh, concerning uh, Charlo and, and his title and some of the moves that they made, the WBC. Now, of all the sanctioning bodies, you have to lean towards the WBC as being um, the best of the worst. You know, I mean, they're all they're all uh, sharks. Uh, but uh, but the truth of the matter is, is the WBC. You would have to assume is the most credible, uh, at least in my opinion, until you start coming to the belt. Uh, situation where they hand out belts and create belts and everybody everybody's got everybody must get a belt you know but uh in any event let's go to the results i'm going to talk uh, a lot about uh, middleweights and heavyweights today 
Um, uh, Jamal Charlo improved to 28-0 with 21 knockouts uh, when he won a 12-round unanimous decision over Brandon Adams, uh, who drops uh, his third fight of his career. He's now 21-3 uh, with 13 of his wins coming by knockout. Um, the way the judges scored it, 119-109, and two had it a, a complete shutout, 120-108. to um, Charlo didn't want to make any excuses after the fight, but he said the reason why I didn't knock out Adams is because he hurt his hand. He also said he's the best middleweight in the world today and says everybody else is ducking him. Um, you know, first and foremost, Charlo uh, looked good, uh, but, but who has Charlo fought? I mean, let's let's be a hundred percent real here. Who 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 has Jamal Charlo fought? I mean, I, you know, he's part of the PBC uh, group. Uh, that uh, that whole um, let's not fight anybody uh, mantra that that that, that they do. Uh, and, and you know, I, what bothers me is that they, all of a sudden they come out and you know they beat a, a guy that. Uh, no, no disrespect to to Brandon Adams, uh, but he certainly uh, wasn't. Uh, he's certainly not a a world beater, uh, in my uh, opinion. He's a he's a tough fighter, um, but he didn't have much experience. I met the guy personally when he was doing uh, the contender uh, uh, thing, the the competition. Uh, he was for uh, for ESPN. Actually, when ESPN did the uh, middleweight tournament. Uh, he was part of it. He might have been junior middleweight. Was a big kid. But anyway, um, nice guy. Real nice guy. But not that experienced. Didn't have an extensive amateur career. Was was another sport athlete. I believe he played football. But my point is, is it, when you watch the fight, clearly he had no defensive skill. And he took the best that Charlo could offer. When you look at Charlo's record, who, show me one guy that he fought. I mean, you, you could say one of his best wins had to be uh, against uh, uh, Julian Will Williams, um, where he stopped him in five. But but even so, I mean, Car you know, his last fights, uh, Adam uh, Adams, uh, Korobov, Centino Jr., who uh, he, he stopped. Uh, but uh, you could give him credit for that based on the record. See, if you look at this guy's resume, all of the fighters he's fought all had good-looking uh, records. But as far as their overall talent, not so much. Charlo, it, it, you know, it's a good story, and, and you know, he's, he's ranked number four in the world by the computer. He's only 29. He and his twin, both champions. Um, they're just not that good. The way the boxing landscape is today, they don't get a chance to get good. And and I'm hold that thought for a minute because the next middleweight I want to talk about is Demetrius. Excuse me, Demetrius Andre, and he fought uh, uh, last night as well. He he took on uh, uh, Magic uh, Saluki uh, and uh, won a unanimous decision. Uh, all three judges scored that one twenty to one hundred seven. Looked like Demetrius was gonna. Uh, change his ways, so to speak, and fight an exciting fight when he dropped Saliki in the first round, uh, but then went back to the same old Demetrius Andre, and, and, and he just won a non-inspiring, uh, non-action-packed 12-round decision, thus being the problem with Demetrius Andre. He doesn't go in for uh, the kill. He's not an exciting fighter, and his value um, is not there. So if you take these two middleweights, uh, and you look at the current rankings, 
in the world today based on a computer. Now, I have to look at the computer rankings as being somewhat legit because they take the, or do I? I'll get to that in a second. They take the formula of who, uh, who they fought, who they beat, uh, you know, who the opponents fought and who they beat, etc., uh, etc. Et and the way it unfolds is right now the middleweight division, as of this morning, number one middleweight in the world, which comes no, to no surprise to me and I'm sure not to anyone else out there, is Saul Canelo Alvarez. Number two, which also does not come to any surprise to me and it shouldn't to anybody out there, is Triple G. Number three, does not come to any surprise to me, nor should it come to a surprise to anybody out there. Number three is Danny Jacobs. This is where I start to get a a little confused. Because from number four, who Jamal Charlo, incidentally, is sitting at, from number four down, you can make an argument that you can insert any of these other middleweights. You know why? Because the middleweight division is weak. It's terrible. You know, I, I didn't even realize how weak and terrible it was until I watched the Charlo fight last night. And then I said, oh, man, look, he's fighting nobody. And I, and I look at the ratings, and guess what? You know, yeah, he, um, his opponent uh, that he fought last night, Brandon Adams, is actually ranked number 14 in the world. Uh, so he's fought a top 15 guy. Number four is Charlo. Number five is Horn. Number six is David Lemieux. When was the last time he even fought at middleweight? Uh, Number seven is Andre, who I'm talking about now. Number eight is Rob Brandt. Uh, Number nine is Sergey Devorinchenko. And number 10 is uh, Saluki, who uh, Demetrius Andre fought. You know, if Charlo claims he's the best, why not fight another top guy like Demetrius Andre or even a David Lemieux who can't make weight or even a Jeff Horn who's just a tough guy. Personally, I'd like to see Charlo fight a guy like Jeff Horn because Jeff Horn would come right at him and uh, we would uh, we would see uh, what kind of talent level, level uh, Charlo actually has. I know, dis- again, no disrespect to Brandon uh, uh, Adams, but um, the truth of the matter is, is that Adams, with his wild looping, uh, who knows where they're going to land type of punches, connected uh, with Charlo uh, often uh, last night. So I, I just, you know, it makes me laugh uh, to see how uh, the uh, the middleweight division really uh, sits right now. Um, but what makes it even worse is the whole computer rankings. Here I am talking about the computer rankings and, and giving credit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, for, for you know what's in giggles, um, I, I wanted to see what the computer, what the computer ranked as the all-time ratings uh, for both active or inactive middleweights. And I was shocked at what printed out. Um, you know, again, it's the same as the active, the top 50. Well, the number one ranked middleweight in the world uh, historically uh, based on the computer's uh, point system is Carlos Monzon. Now, I'm not that, uh, you know, I'm not that upset that Carlos Monzon happens to be number one. But Sugar Ray Robinson is number three. Now, I know Sugar Ray Robinson was considered the best welterweight of all time. Um, 
unfortunately, uh, a lot of those fights are, are lost, lost forever, so there's no video. Uh, but surely, I, most of his career, he fought at, at uh, middleweight. Most of his publicized and televised career was at middleweight. And no disrespect to Carlos Monzon, but I would certainly think that Robinson would finish number one uh, via the computer. The guy who finished ahead of Sugar Ray Robinson, aside from number one, Carlos Monzon, was Bernard Hopkins. Now, again, no disrespect, Bernard Hopkins is clearly a Hall of Famer and an all-time great, but number two middleweight ever? Hagel is number four. Harry Greb is number five. Harry Greb, you can make the argument, could be number one. Fulmer, uh, I'm sorry, James Tony, number six. Fulmer, number seven. Emil Griffith, number eight. Canelo is already ranked at number nine as an all-time great middleweight by the computer. Um, Triple G is number 12. Sergio Martinez is number 13, which, uh, no disrespect to Sergio, I know uh, uh, Alex and, and uh, uh, Dax, if they're listening right now, are, are you know going to get uh, PO'd out at me, but uh, Sergio Martinez, certainly uh, I would look at him, if anything, uh, as a junior middleweight. Um, you know, uh, Jermaine Taylor is in the top 20 at number 17, Stanley Ketchell is all the way down at number 20. Uh, Daniel Jacobs is even in the mix. Uh, and in case you were wondering, um, uh, Charlo is not in, in, in the mix. But uh, one of the guys that I'm glad did make the, mix, the cut uh, in terms of uh, top 50 as far as the computer is concerned uh, is Iran Barkley at number 46. Uh, but I'm a little... Uh, a little confused with some of the uh, rankings um, in there for sure. Um, as far as Demetrius Andre goes, again, uh, in my opinion, an extremely boring fight, fighter. Um, I, you know, unfortunately, I know he's a talented fighter. I, I, I have nothing against the guy. Um, I like him. It's just, you know, you have to have a level of excitement if you want to make the money. You know, uh, but then again, who knows? You know, I, I, maybe maybe she's all changed. I don't know. Um, some other fights I wanted to talk about, and I'll, I'll get uh, uh, Dax and uh, Alex's uh, uh, thoughts on that a little bit later on the show. Uh, but some other things I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, Joseph Parker uh, was back in the ring, and he improved to 26 wins and two losses with 18 of his wins coming by knockout when he stopped Alex Lepai. Uh, who drops a 32-8 and eight with uh, four draws and 25 knockouts, took place in uh, Providence, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, you know, uh, Samoan heavyweights, two of them, and they're fighting at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. A little, uh, uh, a little shocking, but uh, hey, uh, congrats to uh, all the people that actually went out to that fight. Uh, two minutes and 18 seconds in the 10th round was the official time. And speaking of uh, New England, in a sense, um, former uh, light heavyweight champion Chad Dawson, who still goes by the name uh, Bad Chad Dawson, he's just bad. He's not like bad as in bad means good, but you know, just he's just bad. Um, he improved to thirty-five and five. He scored a eight-round unanimous decision over Quinton Rankin. Uh, who drops to uh, f 15 wins, six losses, and a couple of draws, uh, 80 to 68, and 78 to 72 twice uh, were the way the judges uh, 
uh, scored that fight. Um, so some other things I wanted to talk about in uh, follow-up with this topic before we get Dax on the phone um, is the WBC and the whole follow the bouncing world championship belt. Um, Charlo going into this fight when it was signed uh, was the interim uh, WBC uh, world middleweight champion. Well, uh, over the past uh, week or so, um, the WBC has made uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez, Alvarez the WBC's franchise uh, champion. He's also the diamond belt champion, which I believe is their version of the super uh, middleweight champion, therefore making Jermall Charlo the regular old uh, world champion, um, which is all crazy. Uh, you know, you got to beat somebody to become a champion. And that's somebody that I believe Charlo has to beat is either Triple G or Daniel Jacobs. I mean, let's be real. Uh, I'd even accept that if he could beat Andre in, uh, you know, a fight that uh, I would think Charlo would force Andre to fight. But uh, uh, anyway, my man uh, Mitch sent me a, a couple of emails. And the first one is the franchise champion. Uh, he was making some comments on and Mitch said, uh, uh, so now they made Saul Canelo Alvarez the franchise middleweight champion and they make Jermell Charlo the full world champion for beating exactly who? And he agrees with me. He says, no one. He says, so they continue to protect and bend over backwards for Canelo. Uh, they force a fight between Charlo and Triple G if he's supposed to get a belt before earning a third fight with Canelo. And, and, and that, to me is uh is kind of crazy if they're forcing charlo to fight triple g why isn't canelo fighting triple g i mean let me tell you when when i was in vegas uh for the fight triple g against uh i'm sorry uh canelo alvarez against daniel jacobs triple g was there and when they put the camera on him which was the case for the only time i've ever seen an audience uh after a camera is on triple g boo him and at first, I was like, what the hell? But then I realized what the reason was. The reason is that Canelo Alvarez, his arch enemy, his nemesis is Triple G. And the fans of Canelo know that. That's why they booed Triple G. It was kind of a, if this sounds like an oxymoron, it was kind of like a respectful boo. You know, it wasn't like a boo-hoo, boo-hoo. It was just like a boo but it was like a respectable boo, if you know what I mean. It's like, who? Who boos? Who boos respectful boos? But <laughs> anyway, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that they give this guy uh, a belt to set up a fight because they want Triple G to earn a belt. Like he's got to prove that he's good enough to fight uh, Canelo. And, and the truth of the matter is, they're just hoping this guy gets so old that, you know, he, he needs uh, to get wheeled into the uh, ring to fight uh, Canelo again. You can make the argument that, that Triple G won both of the fights against Canelo. I mean, come on. Um, although the second fight was uh, a better performance by Canelo. Anyway, he says they get another sanctioning body, uh, another sanctioning fee by adding another level to their title. Ironically, uh, Charlo fought. Uh, um, for the title, and they made a sanctioning fee last night. He says they've ruined the chance for Alvarez-Charlo uh, fight. 
which I don't know if, if I agree with Mitch on that one. He says, uh, this BS is basically excludes Canelo from any obligations as a champion. They'll let him do whatever uh, he wants on a case-by-case basis. He can walk around and call himself the champ and not be obligated to fight a mandatory. Basically, the WBC has stepped to Canelo and said, uh, Charlo has been your mandatory for a while now. Any chance you want to fight him before 2021? And Canelo says no. So they create another belt to him, for him. And uh, uh, Charlo looks like he'll fight Triple G. Um, he says, what a joke. He says, but I- I've studied this more. And he says, it-, it makes even less sense. He says, I mean, a sanctioning body getting fees makes sense. I get that. He says, this is an email from Mitch. He says, the WBC is in bed with certain promoters uh, that I won't name. And in parentheses, he puts PBC. But it's not just them, though, Mitch. You know that. Uh, Rigandow gets a title shot next. Wilder's been receiving favoritism. He says, I get all of that. Uh, But but the WBC is also in bed with Saul Canelo Alvarez because he's the number one American breadwinner. Dollars make sense. Here's what gets him, though. This is Mitch. It says, if Canelo moves up a weight class and he becomes a franchise franchise champion of that weight class too, rumor has it that he's fighting Kovalev in September and not Triple G because Triple G wanted to fight anywhere but Vegas. But then again, Triple G probably would have accepted and settled to fight in Mexico or Vegas um, or to fight in Mexico over Vegas. Uh, so he says, if he leapfrogs the division and does the same, does he become the franchise guy of that weight class? Mitch says, yes. In this case, fighting Kovalev means Alvarez would be two weight classes above the middleweight, thus making them the light heavyweight franchise champion, meaning he leaps, leapfrogs Godzotic as the man in that division. So, uh, so then what happens in the middleweight division? You move Charlo up to a second time uh, without fighting anyone and make him the franchise champion and then move uh, Andre or Golovkin uh, or whoever Carlos current mandi- Charlo's current mandatory is up to the full champion Why Charlo gets the tag uh, And so now he, meaning Charlo Doesn't have to fight his mandatory now As was the case with Alvarez He says no So in a scenario where Charlo were to fight Canelo Which it doesn't look like it's going to happen um, But entertain me He says if Charlo were to beat Canelo he becomes the new franchise champion, right? He says, no, he just gets the diamond belt. He says, I still don't know what that belt is. He says, so the diamond champion uh, would put Charlo in line to fight the WBC against who? And that's the question. He says himself because he was the champ, right? So Charlo would fight himself, right? No. He says, okay, Alvarez. No, he lost to Charlo, so he can't be the diamond champion, but he remains franchise champ, right? He says, I guess Charlo would have to fight himself. Or do they make up a vacant belt and install two guys uh, to fight for the right to face Charlo, thus making the winner the interim champ? Come on, Billy C., help me understand it. It's hard to understand. Thanks for the uh, email. And I understand your frustration, Mitch. Um, It's hard to understand because it's impossible to understand. Um, the, The bottom line is this. Yes. That's the bottom line. No, yes, uh, sanctioning organizations make their money um, from sanctioning fees. There's no question about that. We all understand that. And we've all grown to accept it. We've also grown to accept uh, the fact that there are multiple champions uh, because we hold on to now 
linear championship. And Doc's made a comment earlier about Sergio Martinez. Well, he was a linear champ. But that doesn't mean that he, in all time, all time, that he falls in. I'm sorry, no disrespect. Number 13 all-time great middleweights. I'm sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I don't care. I don't care that he was a linear champ. It doesn't matter. He's not the 13th greatest middleweight of all time. It doesn't happen. I'm sorry. Barkley was better than him. Barkley was better than him as a middleweight. But anyway, um, so the belt situation is a joke. When you look at, and this is just computer, forget the WBC rankings. See, that's the other problem. The problem is every sanctioning body has their own rankings. So they'll value a guy that's ranked number five in their own rankings, even though that guy might be ranked by the computer at number 25. It doesn't matter. The sanctioning body will still rank that guy as their fifth best, best, bleh, their fifth best middleweight. Okay, so when you look at that, it adds a lot of fighters into the mix. Do we have too many titles? Of course we do. Of course we do. If we're if we have to accept five major sanctioning bodies, then we should only be forced to accept one champion for each of those major five. Um, in each division. But uh, five isn't enough, apparently, because each division has five, each sanctioning body has five champions within, their, within each weight class. So the middleweight division has five champions, basically, in every single sanctioning body. And what the WBC here now is doing, you know, I'm not going to blame them for the diamond belt because the diamond belt is basically their choice of, of words for their super title. So where the WBA would have a regular uh, world champion, then they have their super world champion. Well, it's the same thing with the WBC. They have their regular world champion, and then they have their diamond world champion, which is their version of a super world champion. And by the way, the WBC takes it a step further because they do have an interim champion title and they do have a silver belt world title holder, which is which used to be their interim. So maybe the WBC has actually kicked it up a notch by adding uh, the franchise divisional champion. Ugh. Mitch is right. It's it's totally ridiculous, totally ridiculous. But what I feel is ridiculous is the division in itself. Because the truth of the matter is, is after you take those top three, the middleweight, middleweight division is a three-headed, uh, uh, you know, uh, division in my opinion. You got Canelo, uh, Triple G, and Danny Jacobs in the top three, ranked in that order, Canelo, Triple G, and Jacobs, which I can't argue with. Um, you know, Canelo did beat Triple G, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, Triple G hasn't fought uh, anyone like Canelo since the Canelo fight. Uh, Canelo fought Danny Jacobs. Um, you know, listen, I, I didn't like the whole thing with uh, um, with Canelo and Triple G, uh, the whole tainted beef. The, the, I just, I lost a lot of respect for Canelo. But at the end of the day, you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez has fought uh, the best of the best in, in multiple weight classes. And if my man Mitch is correct and he's uh, predicting and or he knows uh, 
that uh, you know uh, Canelo is going to be fighting Sergey Kovalev next uh, in uh, uh, in Vegas in September. That ought to be an interesting fight, and it ought to be another notch for Canelo. My question is, how dangerous of a fight is it for Canelo? And you know why I'm going to tell you right now, if it happens, why it's not a dangerous fight for Canelo? Because Kovalev, what's his weakness, boys and girls? What's his one weakness that he has shown? As a matter of fact, in my opinion, he quit against Andre Ward because of it. Right, body shots. He don't like to get hit in the midsection. And if Canelo can do anything well, well, he does a lot of things well. I didn't mean it to sound like that. But if he does anything exceptionally well, it's uh, it's clearly working the body. So it, 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 that would be an interesting fight. But to be honest with you, I would like to see the Canelo Alvarez Triple G trilogy. Uh, I think Triple G deserves it. I don't know how many more fights Triple G has left in him. I know he signed some, I think it was a five-year deal, uh, five-fight deal over three years or something. But, uh, um, you know, Danny Jacobs against Charlo, I'd love to see that. I'd like to see Charlo fight someone that is a major player. How about Demetrius Andre and Jamal Charlo? Demetrius Andre just can't fight an exciting fight. Charlo at least tries. Now, he hasn't fought anybody of the caliber of Demetrius Andre, uh, so why don't those two fight? I would settle for a Jeff Horn against Charlo fight. I really would. Not that Jeff Horn is any, you know, no disrespect to him, but I don't think he's a world beater, uh, but he's a tough guy. And I, I think a tough, tough guy with a little more skill than Brandon Adams displayed last night would give Charlo trouble, all right? Uh, Brandon Adams is a tough guy, um, but just didn't have the skill set. So Charlo was never really uh, in any kind of danger. But I think he could to technically be in some kind of danger with Jeff Horn or a power puncher like David Lemieux. Uh, but the fight I would like to see would be Demetrius Andre against uh, uh, Jamal Charlo. I think that that's uh, a good fight uh, to have. But uh, anyway, listen, I'm going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm scheduled to have uh, Dax Khan join us. And we'll get his thoughts on uh, Charlo and uh, the middleweight division and some other things. So, uh uh, don't uh, don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Don't forget about our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week television channel. That's right. Check it out. It's on Roku and all the major streaming Platforms Just visit uh, Ginico USA and sign up today. Uh, that's GinicoUSA.com. And make sure you use the code Billy C. Joining us right now uh, is my man uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Good morning, Billy C. 
So uh, last night, I, you know, I, I watched a fight, and and let's talk about Charlo first. Um, I watched a fight, and you know, I I, I like uh, Adams. You know, I I mean, I like him because I met him. He's a really nice kid. He's always smiling and stuff. But let's be real, he's not that talented um, of a boxer. Um, he fought Charlo, and Charlo looked good against him. What was your thoughts of the fight? I didn't think he looked that good against him. He had a guy there who uh, couldn't hit him. But, um, I mean, that day, I didn't think he looked good against him. I, haven't, I don't think Charlo looked good in his um, last couple fights. Both Charlo brothers, to me, Dax, and I, yeah. you know, I, they're just, they're, they're overrated, and it just seems to be becoming synonymous with the with the PBC fighters. And, again, I, I don't want to just bash them. I, there are, you know, they, there's some talent there, um, but they don't seem to display it against top opposition. Now, Charlo's ranked number four by the computer, and I just don't understand how it is. I used to be very supportive of the computer rankings, but it's getting hard for me to, to, to understand where they come up with this. Well, I think um, it goes by his overall, you know, the points, not just in middleweight, but, of course, it is unfair considering he's new to the division. I think that was only his uh, third or fourth fight. But uh, before we go any further on that, First, let's just say, you know, I understand a lot of people are upset, rightfully so, with the elevation of Canelo as a franchise. I just want to say this absurdities of Canelo ducking Charlo that have been just seem flooding the Internet ever since then. It's just I, I don't understand. You know, it's it's really out of control. And, you know, not because I don't want to harp on these titles, but, you know, the WBA will not be outdone. They will not be outtitled by anybody because <laughs> they now have Guerrero now is. So do ne never, Suleiman, do not think you can outtitle the WBA because it won't happen. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You know, nobody's outtitling the WBA, right? But uh, it, it was kind of a weird move. And, and you know, I. It's funny that the Charlo uh, fan base is, is trying to make it like Canelo ducked him. I looked at it as Canelo trying to avoid a fight with trip, the third fight against Triple G. That's the way I looked at it. And and my man Mitch, I read the email, he made an interesting point. I don't, I don't think so. Well, he made an interesting point about um, the possibility of Canelo fighting uh, Kovalev. Which, uh, you know, they're trying to, you know, solidify that Canelo is a, a pound-for-pound pound fighter. He's already fought at super middleweight. He's fought junior middleweight, middleweight, light heavyweight. Um, what's your thoughts on a potential matchup with Kovalev? Well, first of all, definitely Canelo is a pound-for-pound pound fighter. Um, do I think he's better than Lomachenko or Crawford? Of course not. But he's definitely a pound-for-pound pound fighter and probably has the best resume in boxing at the moment. He does. you got to um, give him credit for that. The fans got to give him credit for that. But um, I have a feeling, and this is just my opinion, some people I've been speaking with, Canelo was raised to that franchise champion because the WBC has been wanting another Julio Cesar Chavez for a very long time. And not junior, we mean senior. But I also think that Canelo, his career is going to be short. I think they're going to try and either get that um, Callum Smith fight or the Kovalev fight. And if he wins that, I think we might see Canelo in one or two more fights. And I think he's going to retire relatively young. He has a lot of money. And his, his um, spot in history would have already been solidified. And I think that Oscar and um, P. 
people around him and the way that they're bringing Canelo along. And that plan is not to have Canelo be one of the guys that was a great that stayed around too long because he accomplished so much before 30 years old. Yeah, but Dax, look at it this way. And I don't, And you know what? You make a great point. And, and logic would, would you know, direct most people right down that path. But, but let's be real. Let's take a look at who the potential fights that he would have over the next half a dozen years. And is there really anybody out there that would give him much trouble with the exception of Triple G? And they're waiting for Triple G to start collecting Social Security before they want to fight him again. I mean, there's no there's no one out there, at least currently, unless somebody comes in out of left field that seemed to 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 give that would seem to give Canelo any kind of trouble. No, I agree, especially as we've seen Canelo just get better. He, he does. He gets better fight after fight. There's no way to deny that, no matter what your opinion is of him. But also, Oscar De La Hoya, and I had this discussion, this debate with somebody the other day. Oscar De La Hoya was always the A-side, and even coming off a loss, he fought the very best guy he can get into the ring. He could have taken any fight and still made big money, but he always made sure he fought the best. And Canelo, just like we spoke to him in Vegas— and I've spoke to him in other occasions. You know, he wants Canelo to have that same path. But, of course, he doesn't want Canelo to have stuck around for one or two fights too long. And he doesn't want Canelo to go out on a loss like he did. So, or um, he went out on a win. But he doesn't want, you know, Canelo to, you know, um, go out on those losses against guys like, you know, a Mayweather and a Pacquiao. Because Canelo really does have the opportunity to be the most marketable and probably, you know, the most profitable fighter of this era. And probably in another seven or eight fights, he could um, be just behind Floyd Mayweather in terms of gross earnings for this era. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I you know, for me, he just seems, uh, like you said, and, and you made a great point, that he does get better and better. It's something I, I don't even think of, but it's true. And there's no one really, I mean, the guy hasn't looked bad. If he started to decline a little, I could see. But uh, let me ask you this. Demetrius Andre fought uh, Saluki last night. And, I, I, you know, the knock on Demetrius, aside from him uh, staying too long with, with his previous promotional outfit, I should say they're plural. plural. Uh, you know, he's a talented fighter, but he's boring. And last night, you know, first round, he drops uh, uh, Saluki in that first round. And uh, I said to myself, oh, man, this, this might turn into something interesting. And then it went right back to Demetrius Andrade. Um, it's hurting his career, in my opinion, for, for fighting safety first. What's next for him? You know, that's a good question. And I thought about that with Andrade for quite a while, where he seems to be complacent with doing just enough to win, where he knows, okay, it's not a close fight. I'm winning. And he doesn't have that next gear. He did um, stop Akovov in his last outing. But other than that, his last stoppage win was 2016, even when he went over and won that uh, WBA title from Koke. The only thing I can really say about him that is special is that he's so defensive and hard to hit in the middle of the ring, not laying on the ropes, not running around like a lot of other guys. And that's what, you know, separates him. But in terms of wanting to solidify himself as that top name or get into that discussion or um, anybody sit there and say that, you know, Demetrius Andre is a guy that I can't wait to see next and have any sort of possible long-term deal beyond what he already has in place. He's not doing enough to make himself that marketable. And that's something he's going to have to do against other top names because 
we're criticizing Charlo, but on the same hand, it's been a long time since Andre has fought at that level as well. You know, the thing is, is because of all the sanctioning bodies, it, it almost, you know, prevents a fight. So when I look at the current uh, middleweight computer rankings, Canelo is number one, Triple G number two, Danny Jacobs number three. No arguments there. It's To me, it's a, it's a three-headed division. Uh, I never really realized how weak the division is because those top three are all so good. But when you look from Danny Jacobs down, Charlo's number four, Horn's number five, Lemieux's number six. I can't even remember the last time he actually fought at, at middleweight. Uh, Dimitri's number seven, Brant's eight, Devonchenko's nine, and Saluki's number ten. Um, Charlo, I, I would like to see a fight a guy like Dimitri Sandrade or even a Jeff Horn. Um, what's your thoughts on the possibility of him fighting somebody like that, or do you think he's going to pull up uh, another one of these guys, a uh, uh, Brandon Adams, who incidentally is it w- was that number fourteen by the computer? Well, the W, I mean, uh, PBC has become proficient in doing that with their fighters. Uh, you know, they're big name fighters. Look what they did with Adonis Stevenson for so long. And, um, you know, Andre, I mean, not Andre, uh, Charlo, considering, you know, his brother that lost to Tony Harrison has really hurt his marketability. And that whole thing where they made Jimmy Lennon last night say one of the uh, two uh, boxing sensa- twin boxing sensations. Right now, I think um, the PBC, they're worried of risking another loss because the Charlos, their whole marketability really is the twins both That's... holding those titles and stuff, you know. So a loss for um, both of them having a loss now, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there goes a franchise more or less. No, you're right. The mar- Their main marketing tool is the fact that they're, they're twins. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that I-, I can't help but recall the clip everybody saw. It went viral of the uh, Jamal Charlo talking to Danny Jacobson in the uh, below in, at Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, down in the hallways at the dressing rooms that and stuff. was at the Barclays Center, yeah. Well, well, oh, was it? I thought it was at the Garden. Oh, okay. No, you know, the Barclays Center, yeah. yeah, at the Barclays Center. And, uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, is, you know, uh, he was talking smack to him, and he's never said nothing since. There's a fight I'd like to see. He didn't really talk smack to him. Um, that's where Charlo kind of, understood the street part in Danny Jacobs because Charlo had been talking a lot about Danny Jacobs online and in interviews and Danny Jacobs just happened to see him in the hallway out of the corner of his eye and he turned around and he confronted him Danny Jacobs said you know what let's get this fight and you know Charlo all of a sudden his whole demeanor and his whole attitude changed you know the whole little uh, group of PBC guys gathered around and then they start talking well money and everything no I don't think he wanted any part of Danny Jacobs no. And I still don't think he wants any part of Danny Jacobs. Uh, you know, Danny Jacobs, despite maybe, you know, the Canelo fight, when Danny Jacobs, at any point in time in the past, he's had a statement to make. Danny Jacobs is a dangerous fighter, and he hits hard and a lot harder than Charlo, and he's a big guy. And Charlo last night was saying, you know, typical, I don't want to make excuses, but I, the reason why I didn't knock him out is because of my hand, you know. But uh, uh, he said he was the best middleweight in the world. Says that Canelo's ducking him, says he wants to make it, says he's taking over, blah, blah, blah. What about Jim Gray saying, you know, how, how do you feel about Triple G and Canelo aborting you? Well, what, Jim Gray, get, I'm yeah. embarrassed for you. Yeah, no, Jim Gray, Jim Gray is, is a joke. But, I, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that they're trying to, they're, they're brainwashing a fan base to think, that those guys are ducking Charlo. That's the PBC. How many times? Uh, stop and think. Every PBC fighter that's a, a, a champion of sorts 
cries the same thing, that the rest of the boxing world in their division is ducking them. It's the same thing. That's how they get their fans to think they're good because they certainly don't prove it in the ring, Dax. Some do. Don't, don't get, you know, let's not be um, too harsh. You know, some do. And we can't say that the guys don't want to fight the other fighters, but, you know, they're not the ones that make their matches. You know, a lot of them guys didn't have, you know, a, a big um, backing when, when they signed with the PBC. So, you know, the PBC more or less is their backing. And the guys that have left the PBC, regardless of what everybody thinks, every, you know, just everybody signed with Eddie Hearn. And then, you know, we'll have the big fights. Well, Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn has been uh, very successful. And I see that, the, you know, other promoters are either letting him drive the bus or they're trying to compete in a smaller version uh, of stuff like Eddie Hearn, like their own uh, streaming system or, or something along those lines. And it, it, it's not working. Hey, I know we've been trying to uh, talk about some stuff that you uh, wanted to talk about last week. And actually, the week before, but uh, uh, let's talk about the uh, the World Boxing Super Series. Um, you know, uh, uh, Marius Breedis uh, stopped uh, Glowaski, and he picked up the uh, WBO Cruiserweight title. Uh, also, uh, uh, Dortico's knocked out uh, Tabati, which uh, I didn't having Tabati get knocked out didn't 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 surprise me. Um, but now it's those two in the final. But there was some uh, there was some issues with the Glowaski Breedis uh, fight, and the elbow uh, sticks in my head. What's your thoughts on the way that whole fight turned out, and where we're heading with the uh, final? Well, I mean, Robert Bird, horrible job. I mean, I don't know what the bird, you know, him and Adelaide. I don't know how they keep getting work, but um, you know, Glowaski, he. You know, I've watched that a couple times. I can't really tell if Glowacki intentionally threw that punch behind the head and that was a retaliation by Breedis. But either way, it was definitely something that Breedis looked straight at Glowacki and then used that elbow. And then when Glowacki fell down to his knee, at first I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, is, is, is he faking? You know, what's going on here? Because he didn't really, you know, just drop right down. And then when that round, next round started, you could see he was already hurt. They shouldn't have even let him take those other punches. But, um, you know, a lot of people are um, saying that Breedis is a dirty fighter. You know, whether he is or whether he isn't, I don't know. Um, you know, the uh, finals of this is certainly not as appetizing as the final in the uh, the first season. But, you know, the cruiserweight division is more or less thinned out now, considering that, you know, um, Alexander Usyk and uh, Gassiev have both moved up to heavyweight. Well, let me let's go back one one step. When when he went down, what was your thoughts with your boy Bird yelling at him to get up? It's like how did he miss that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm just sitting there saying to my I I don't know how he did that. that that's the thing. It's like how did you miss that? That's what I, why I mentioned what a horrible job that was. I don't know how he missed that. He didn't jump in when the punch went in the back of the head. He should have jumped in then. And then he definitely should have jumped in with the elbow. There's no way he could have missed that. This is why, you know, we should have Ron Lipton or Charlie Fitch over there uh, refereeing these fights. If you're going to send American referees over there. Um, you mentioned Usyk uh, leaving the division, moving up to heavyweight. heavyweight. Um, he's, also, he's already named the WBO mandatory challenger. I have a problem with that, Dax. 
Um, I, I have no no problems with Usyk moving up. I mean, I personally, I, I know it's a money move. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen him stay in the cruiserweight division only because I feel the cruiserweight division needs uh, a, a, a handful of superstars like they seemingly have to get it on the map here in the States. We're the only uh, uh, place that doesn't value the cruiserweight in the sport of boxing. Uh, but to be named a mandatory prior to even fighting, I, I, I have a problem with that. What's your thoughts? Well, the WBA has 300 titles on, but the WBO, they give a luxury rather than a title, and that's that WBO super champion, which allows that guy who is not just the WBO champion, but he has to be unified to get the privilege of calling out the champion in the division below or the division above and become the, you know, whenever they want to more or less, you know, whenever they want to fight that fighter in that division below or above, they're given that luxury. Well, I, I know, I, I know they do have that. Uh, I, I know, but it doesn't make we, sense. We've seen that. It doesn't many, make sense. How many times have we seen in in the past, whether or not it's the WBC or WBA, you know, a guy is a champion in the lower weight class, he moves up, and all of a sudden, you know, he's getting a fight against, you know, the uh, the champion. Demetrius Andre, he's the, yeah. he, he he was a junior middleweight champ, and then no, he, he, was, he was the WBA champion. But he immediately got a, a shot at the WBO title. That's because Eddie Hearn, just like Danny Jacobs, immediately got a shot at the IBF title. Well, it carried through. It, ca it seemed to have carried through to a degree for him. But uh, uh, one, one other thing I, I wanted to talk to you about real quickly was uh, Tyson Fury was in the ring a couple weeks ago and uh, took care of a young fighter out of Germany named Tom Schwartz, knocked him out at 2 minutes and 54 seconds uh, of the second round. Uh, he is now 28-0 and with a draw and 20 knockouts. Uh, Schwartz losing really for, uh, only for the first time of his career, 24-1 and now with 16 knockouts. The heavyweight division, I think, has come into focus, Dax. And I think the guy who's at the top of the division, uh, putting every title aside, uh, is Tyson Fury. Uh, what's your thoughts? I believe so, and I've said that on here many times. Right now, he's getting a lot of backlash for that fight, and that more or less tells you what the public's consensus is, that he is the top guy in that division because only the top guy gets that backlash for fighting a qual uh, an opponent like Tom Schwartz. You know, they want you to fight the absolute best all the time, whether or not it's an Anthony Joshua, an Andy Ruiz, a Deontay Wilder, and so on. So right now, though, in order for Tyson Fury to maintain that status and for him to get those alphabet titles, he's going to have to be facing the guys who don't have those belts. And what a lot of people don't realize or understand, that wasn't so much a fight where they were looking for somebody to make Fury look good. It was a tactical move because Schwartz had one of those minor WBO titles, and that places Fury in a position to fight either Andy Ruiz within a fight or two, or if Usyk and Ruiz should fight the winner of that bout, however it goes. But either way, it places Tyson Fury in a position, and that was a tactical move rather than you know just a, a money grab or a gimme opponent. The thing is, is that Tom Schwartz was a, 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 a up-and-coming, young, undefeated fighter. And traditionally, when we see these uh, heavy, any division, but we're talking about heavyweights now, uh, they seem to avoid those kinds of fighters. When they're, you know, there's, of course, the, uh, the big fight that they're aiming for. 
uh, and the road to that big fight is usually uh, littered with maybe some guys that are on their way down or guys trying to get their shot again, you know, has-been fighters, former champions, you know, guys with a lot of mileage on them versus the young fighter. Now, granted, Tom Schwartz didn't have a, uh, a sparkling resume either, but I, I don't see why he's getting uh, uh, a lot of flack over uh, fighting an undefeated young fighter, in my opinion. But Tyson Fury, just like with Canelo, and I said to somebody the other day that Canelo can talk the talk because he walks the walk. Tyson Fury, so far, has walked the walk for everything he has talked. He told me, I remember, he was going to chase Klitschko to the end of the earth, and he was going to end that reign. He told us he was going to come back from that layoff, the, the problem with drugs and depression, and he was going to slim down, and he was going to go in there and become one of the top heavyweights again, and he did. He told us that he was going to make Deontay Wilder look like an amateur in the ring, and he did. So far, Tyson Fury has done everything he said he was going to do. He is a great showman, and until he doesn't perform or he isn't able to live up to those obligations, really, what can we complain about? No. Um, one last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, is they announced uh, uh, a week or so ago, 10 days ago, they announced a heavyweight matchup, uh, two contenders, uh, Adam Kosnacki going up against uh, Chris Ariola. Uh, it's taking place uh, August 3rd in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. I love this fight, Dax, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I, I like the fight because it does feature two guys fighting each other with the winner presumably moving up and getting a shot at, at a world title or at least an elimination bout or closer to it. And, you know, with these two particular guys, obviously Chris Arriola is beyond, uh, way past his prime. But I got to tell you, I sat near him uh, in Vegas and he looked like, and then even the, the promotional photos of, uh, of, of this fight, he looks like he's in the best. Now, granted, he's, he had clothes on. He had his shirt on and everything else. But he looks slim. Did you get a chance to see him? I think he looks like he's in really good shape. Not that, you know, maybe it, it won't matter. But uh, but I think Koznaki may be getting in the ring with the best version of Ariola we've seen in a long time. You know, no matter how good of shape he's in physically, and I have seen pictures of him, he does look slim. He's taking a lot of punishment inside that ring, so his reflexes and so on are um, just not there anymore. Always loved Chris Ariola because he was an all-action, all-out fighter. But, you know, right now he doesn't have much to offer. Funny enough is that before Andy Ruiz fight Anthony Joshua, after his fight before that, he says, I think the fans want to see two chubby guys go in the ring and go at it next and he called out Konaki and I think that would have been a sensational fight but we'll see what happens um, you know if Konaki uh, beats Ariola handily I think it should be an all action fight no matter what then um, I would like to see Konaki go in against you know the next level he's a small heavyweight but you know you have to just love the way he's in, in people's chest he's not, uh, punching nonstop. he's exciting but you know how can he take a punch from a bigger guy that's the only thing that uh, we're going to have to find out but yeah I, I definitely like the fight he he's well, you know, uh, not... he's busy. He's a busy fighter for a guy that appears to be out of out of shape. Andy Ruiz showed that against Anthony Joshua. He he kept throwing uh, a lot of punches, and it definitely makes up the difference. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, as um, 
a lot of people, you know, keep forgetting it takes a lot less oxygen to feed fat than it does muscle. That's why the muscle-bound fighters are always gassed, and we've seen that with Anthony Joshua, for example. So, you know, these uh, guys, just because they, you know, they're a little rotund on the outside, you know, uh, don't overlook them. Hey, I don't have anything against the guys that are a little rotund on the outside. Dax, I appreciate it. Hey, before we'll look we go, for... just uh, got to say we have a new fan built inside the um, chat room. Her name is Patty Blue. She goes under the name Love It. She's just getting back into boxing. She never misses the show. And the last couple of weeks she's been saying, where is Dax, Billy, Alex, and Sal? I've been coming on every week. She actually thought there was a problem with her YouTube, not on our end. <laughs> I've been get I've been getting calls, and uh, you know, yes, I, I apologize at the opening of the show, but uh, Dax, we look forward to you uh, uh, next week, brother. Actually, right. next week. Guess what? We're off next week. The week after, <laughs> next week's the Fourth of July weekend. So I got uh, doctor's hours here. Yeah, we do. It's starting <laughs> to get it's starting to get bad. But uh, Dax, right. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. That's Dax Khan. You can check him out up on. Uh, uh, Billy C. Boxing. Yeah, that is a programming note. Uh, we're celebrating the 4th of July uh, holiday next weekend, so uh, it's going to be uh, tough to do a show. Hey, speaking of tough, you guys have heard me talk about uh, James Scott in the past. It was a, a fighter that I uh, uh, will always remember watching on TV. Uh, Larry Hazard and myself talked about him. James Scott was uh, uh, doing time in jail in, in Jersey uh, for murder. And we used to watch his fights on, on primetime TV, uh, the regular networks in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, he did uh, uh, finally get out of jail after spending uh, most of his uh, life behind bars. Um, I'll forever remember watching these fights uh, with the uh, inside the prison with the rays of uh, wire and, and all of that uh, made an impact on me. Uh, he was released from prison in, in 2005 uh, after he had been in jail for t over 28 years. Um, in New Jersey, he was inducted into the uh, New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame in 2012. Uh, he had been suffering from dementia and um, passed away uh, last month uh, on, on May 8th. He was 71 years old, and I just wanted to give him his props. Um, uh, he made an impact on me, so my condolences uh, from all of us here uh, go out to uh, uh, James Scott and, and his family. So um, I wanted to read another email real quick, and then we're going to take a break and uh, uh, get my man uh, Alex on the line. Uh, this one is from Jesse. Uh, he says, hey, Billy C., long time no seeing you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, we're sorry. All right, we're sorry. Uh, he says, uh, great win for Andy Ruiz. He made history with a big upset. Proved the doubters and the talkers that Andy the chubby man uh, can fight. Uh, still saw some holes in his fight game. Extended his left. Didn't use his jab enough. His uppercut uh, was there. And an uppercut um, was there against him to the taking. Uh, and he saw that it was there for AJ uh, with the taking. And he... Uh, Worked well. He says, AJ, I feel didn't use his jab in his reach, didn't fire the right uh, like he was used to. Uh, overall, excellent, entertaining fight. Why can't Mexico get AJ against Ruiz rematch? Uh, is it in the money? Um, he says, like to see Callum Smith against Jacobs, uh, David Benavides, or Gilberto. Um, he says, uh, are you going to watch the, This is an older email. Are you going to watch the Paulie? Malinaji bare knuckle pal. No, I had no interest in pulling Malinaji. Got his ass kicked. But uh, uh, you know, I give Andy Ruiz a lot of credit for the fight. 
Uh, there's no question about that. The reason why he won that fight is simple. He threw more punches when it needed when he needed to. Uh, when he got hurt, he came back throwing punches. Uh, Anthony Joshua uh, pulled a Mike Tyson. What I mean by that is that he uh, um, took Ruiz lightly, just like Mike Tyson uh, took Buster Douglas lightly. Uh, just like Mike Tyson was in Tokyo partying it up, not training. I don't care what anybody says. Anthony Joshua was in Miami partying it up, not training. And uh, it was evident on fight night uh, when he ran out of gas. I don't, I'm not so sure the, uh, the punches knocked out Anthony Joshua as much as Anthony Joshua knocked out Anthony Joshua. He couldn't breathe. Uh, he was just totally spent. I think anybody uh, that would have connected with a couple of shots in that fight at that stage would have knocked out Anthony Joshua. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what transpires. As far as I know, the, the rematch is signed. Uh, as a matter of fact, from the last news I heard was that the fight was going to be held here in the States again, um, something that Anthony Joshua is pushing for. I give Andy Ruiz a lot of credit for signing to fight Anthony Joshua again immediately. Obviously, it was a rematch clause. He could have weaseled out of it and gotten himself another fight uh, or two. But I think he's making a smart business decision because his value has gone up either way. Even if Anthony Joshua should beat him, Andy Ruiz is going to have plenty of people knocking on his door offering him money to fight or have their fighter fight him because he was a former champion. Uh, on the other side of the coin, should Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua again, well, this guy is all of a sudden going to be in the driver's seat in the heavyweight division. So uh, I think it's a smart business decision uh, on uh, Ruiz's part. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're scheduled to have Alex Papali join us. Don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent you. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. So we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us and, uh, 
joining us right now. You know, I, I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed. I, I got to be honest. You know, I was seeing all these uh, photos of of my man Alex, and he, he had the Billy C look, man. He had the mustache. Yeah, he, he had the glasses on, and all of a sudden he pops up. I get the camera on him, and well. We got the clean-shaven version of, of Alex Papali. Good morning, Alex. What's going on? Good morning, on? Billy C. Yeah, I, I, I only stuck with the mustache for about a week. Oh, gosh. You know, you look so good. I, come on, were, were people confusing you with, with me or uh, Freddie Mercury? That's <laughs> 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 Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's, let's talk about the big, exciting fight you saw. You had the privilege of seeing Chad does. Bad Chad, not bad meaning good. He he's just bad now. I mean, Chad doesn't. Um, how did he look, my man? Um, he <laughs> was looking decent, but um, then he uh, tripped over an uppercut in the fifth <laughs> round, and um, he really benefited from uh, what seemed to be a little confusion from referee Mike Ortega. Um, you know, I when at least where I was sitting in, in press row, you know, we were kind of, it looked like incompetence because, or just plain, he was giving Dawson time to recover. Um, but it was a sloppy fight and, um, Dawson was fighting Quentin Rankin, um, who, uh, he's 15, 15, five and two with 12 KOs. Um, but he's an awkward Southpaw and, he was not there as much to win as he was to not get stopped. And in the fifth round, he struck gold. Um, Chad was, uh, you know, they were in close, and Chad was landing a little more often. Um, and Rankin caught him with an uppercut that Dawson kind of just, his knees went out, and he sort of slumped straight down. And as he went down, Rankin threw another shot at him. That didn't really hit him, kind of grazed him. Well, there was no count. And um, Dawson was clearly hurt. Mike Ortega sent Rankin to a neutral corner. Um, Dawson got up, you know, recovered. And then Ortega gave him a very stern warning. Meanwhile, the clock's ticking away, and Dawson's badly hurt. I mean, his legs were jelly. Um then they come together again, Rankin, you know, surging because he wants to stop this guy. And in that little fracas there, it's, it appeared that um, Rankin caught, uh, at least Dawson was complaining that Rankin caught him with an elbow. Um, and so Mike Ortega separates them and penalizes uh, Rankin a point and takes quite an awful long time to do so. So all that momentum that Rankin had there uh, was com completely gone. But for a minute, it really looked like, wow, we're about to see the end of Chad Dawson's career. Um, I, I thought we've already seen that. <laughs> uh, well, to his credit, he did get himself together and battle back. Uh, he was lucky it was only an eight-rounder eight um, because the thing that happened, and it seemed that it could very well have been from that elbow, uh, his eye was swelling very rapidly. But, um, you know, against an awkward opponent, he, uh, he did hammer out a win. Um, the thing is that, uh, you know, it's a tough one. Knowing what's out there at light heavyweight, 
Um, it could be that his chin is not what it used to be. Um, you know, the thing about getting knocked out is once you get knocked out, usually you're easier to knock out. And it does seem as though that might be the case with Chad Dawson because um, his chin, I, I don't know, he, he didn't, I don't remember him being chinny. Uh, but now it does appear like if you catch him, you could get him into trouble. And that wasn't usually the way he was when he was younger. I mean, you know, he's 37 years old, so, uh, hey, you can't do this forever. It's a young man's game. He clearly seems to just try and he, – he, clean, he clearly seems to be trying to get himself, you know, one more big payday. Um, uh, you know, I, the, the thing is, is what does a current champion or even a, a top contender – Achieve by beating Chad Dawson. I don't think that, aside from a, a glimmering piece of name, because there's a whole generation of young fans that have never seen him really fight. He he was never known towards the end of his career of, as being a busy fighter. You know, uh, staying busy. So I, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe he should review the film and uh, and decide to uh, hang him up for good, unless he's, you know, financially strapped. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure what where there is to go uh, if he continues with this comeback because I think the, the thing about it is that um, light heavyweight, 175, is, is a pretty rich division. And, and the thing about him is that most of the guys there are pretty big punchers. So um, I don't know, you know, how well Dawson will fare against them, especially um, – you know, with his, he's not as sharp as he used to be, and so much of his skills were based on is has blunted a bit. You know, you can't help that. You know, at his age, but um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, because one of the fights he talked about was Kovalev. At least, you know, uh, in some of the press materials, I, I don't know if Kovalev catches him on the chin. It, it's good night. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was, um, it was a, it was a good night of boxing, though. I mean, all the fights went the distance, so it was kind of long uh, of an evening. But we did uh, also get a shot, a view of um, Tremaine uh, Williams, who is also originally fought out of that same uh, gym as Chad Dawson, as Ring One uh, in New Haven. Uh, but now he is trained by uh, Mike Conroy. Uh, whose gym is in East Haven, Connecticut, and Midget is with um, Rock Nation, but this was a CES card, um, and he is really a talented featherweight. Uh, the thing that I think he suffers from, at least last night, was that he was, um, you know, a lot of guys do this. They, they, they're counter punchers, so you're waiting and waiting for something to happen, but in spots, um, yeah, Williams is just so speedy. He's another uh, southpaw, but like I said, he's at uh, he was 123 pounds last night. Um, in spots, he's just he can be really brilliant. He's now 18 and 0. Um, hopefully, we'll see uh, bigger and brighter things for him. You know, the whole sport in in general. You know, you get a talented fighter and they overprotect him, and you end up seeing fighters emerge like uh jermall charlo last night um i don't know if you had a chance to see the fight yet but 
Um, I just I'm not impressed with either Charlo brother and and yet they're both champions and I know that it's a great story etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I just think the sport is preventing its own from getting better and better from the fear of the possibility of, of losing a fight and it's a shame because as I broke down and, and look looked at the middleweight division um, you know it's a three-headed monster uh, you got uh, Canelo, you got Triple G, and you got Daniel Jacobs, and then the next guy is 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 Charlo, and and I can't see it. But then when you look at the rest of them, they're just not. It's just not full of talent. Yeah, and I think that um, you know what we uh, of those top guys, you know, uh, Golovkin, Canelo, and Jacobs, all three of them tend to be kind of fun to watch, whereas the Ch- uh, Charlo brothers have been in the past what i saw last night i i i I was falling asleep so i went to bed um but uh you know part of it was i didn't start watching until 1 30 in the morning but um yeah i um because think about it what imagine if uh you have a title eliminator uh between charlo and um andrade and wow that would not be too fun to watch well, um, well, I was going to get to that. Um, I was going to ask you, but since you brought him up, Demetrius Andre is a guy that has never been known for his excitement. And last night, he dropped uh, uh, um, his opponent's Lukey in, in the first round. I said to myself, oh, finally, somebody told this guy that he's got to get exciting and he, he'll get bigger paydays, he'll get better fights, he'll get better opportunities. And then I fell asleep, you know, watching him. You know, I mean, he's... He's he's horrific to watch. I mean, it's it's just and and you know, I mean, he just does enough to win. You know, I, I mean, if it was in the cards and you could see a guy like Andre fight um, uh, Charlo, I, I would be interested. But because they're they're representing different sanctioning bodies and different uh, promotional outfits, unfortunately, you never see those fights. Yeah, that that is a bummer, and I think that is what's. Uh what tends to be sort of the bugaboo about this sport. And it's what we're getting right now with that. The good fights are out there uh, waiting to be made, but we can't have them because um, of the, uh, all the, uh, you know, financial affiliations with the, uh, with all the players. And that's really unfortunate because um, that's not what fighters that's not what fighters want, and that's not what fans want either. So it, it's it's weird because uh, when you think about it, I mean, I've been watching this sport since December of 1985, and um, I, last night it was pretty crazy when you think about it. The, it boxing was on in about and available to watch uh, in like four or three or four outlets, and yet. Um, I don't know. It uh, it still isn't quite as popular as it was back in 1985. Yeah, well, that what maybe if they made yeah, but maybe if they made more exciting fights. I don't care. You know, I've said this many many times. I'm not looking for the quantity of boxing on television or streaming service or whatever, wherever you can watch them these days. I'm not looking for the quantity. I'm not looking to say, oh, geez. I got 90 choices uh, on fights. I just want to see quality. And out of all the fights that were on last night, and I agree with you, 
there really wasn't one quality matchup. I mean, Brandon Adams, nice guy. I know him. I, you know, I got to, to spend some time with him uh, during the ESPN uh, uh, tournament that they had. Always smiling. Very limited in skill set. Um, this is a guy that, that took on boxing late. Uh, was, a, was a football player, if I recall correctly. And, you know, he's, he's the guy that gets in the ring against Charlo. I mean, uh, you know, it just it doesn't make sense. The same thing with Dimitri Sanjay. I mean, you're, the fight you were at with Chad Dawson, I mean, here's a guy coming off of a layoff. I mean, I, you can't really criticize him for his opponent. And as it turned out, uh, it turned out to be a dangerous opponent. But, uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame. I'll tell you what's even more of a shame, Alex. Check this out. The... You know, I did the rankings for middleweights, and, uh, you know, it, it shocked me to see um, how weak the middleweight division currently is. And it really is, because I thought it wasn't, but it, it really is. Aside from the, uh, you know, the top three, you, you got nobody, right? But for kicks, I, I, I wanted to see what the computer, and I've been an advocate for the computer saying, well, you know, the computer rankings mean something. Now I'm starting to second-guess that, because... I did an all-time middleweight uh, ranking, the top 50. And Carlos Monzon is ranked at number one. Now, I, I'm not that, I, I don't feel that terrible about that, except for the part where Sugar Ray Robinson is ranked at number three. Wow. And, and the guy at number two is Bernard Hopkins, who I have no problem. But, but I, I mean, listen, he was a throwback fighter, but the second best um, yeah. middleweight in, in the world over Sugar Ray Robinson. Hagler, your boy Hagler's number four. Where's Harry Greb? Number five. Okay. Oh, Saul Cal Canelo Alvarez is already at number nine. All right. <laughs> okay. But check this out. Um, Jermaine Taylor's at number 17. But the one, the, the ones that really bothered me uh, was uh, Stanley Ketchell. You don't see his name till number 20. I, I mean, how can that be? How can that be? And uh, I was happy to see that uh, Iran Barkley did make it in the top 50 at, at number 46. But rounding out the number 48 spot was Lloyd Marshall and number 50, Holman Williams, both guys that should be higher. So, yeah. so, so the computer rankings, I'm starting to second guess, and I, I meant to bring it up with uh, uh, Dax, but I know you're a big fan of Sergio Martinez. He's ranked at, as the 13th best all-time Great middleweight, and and I and I'm sorry, I just can't see it. Yes, he was a linear champion. Yes, he had some good wins, but for the most part, he was a junior middleweight. Right. I, I was just going to say he was barely a middleweight. Yeah. So the idea that he, I mean, um, that would be nice to think of him as all time great quality, but I don't think he. If you were to put him in with a tournament with any of those bigger guys, um, they would hurt him. Um, because not only were they highly skilled, but they were just plain bigger and stronger than him. Um, and that was one of the things that was fun about his reign was that he boxed beyond his physical limitations. Um, he would get you by outspeeding you and just playing volume of punches. And I, I don't know, that was fun to watch. It was almost like every time he fought, it was sort of David versus Goliath. Um, but, uh, yeah, in terms of an all-time great. And, and that doesn't really make sense to have Bernard Hopkins that high and then Jermaine Taylor that low. Taylor has two wins over Hopkins. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you wonder what does the computer 
does the computer value um, you know wins too highly? Because some of those guys, like you said, Lloyd Marshall, Holman Williams, they might have a lot of losses on their career, but they were absolute badasses. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, speaking of badasses, do you see who I came home with? I, uh, came home from Canastota. I I love it, man. You wait till you when you watch the uh, when you watch the replay of this show. Wait till you see how good it looks in the shot. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you know you look at um, Carlos Monzon, eighty-seven wins, three losses. Uh, nine draws uh, for, for throughout his career. Sugar Ray Robinson at number three, 174 wins, 19 losses, six draws. I mean, I, you know, almost 100 more uh, wins, uh, roughly. But when you look at uh, a guy like Harry Greb, 262 wins, 17 losses, 18 draws. Plus, by the way, this guy's career ended early because of his, uh, you know, him passing. Uh, after the surgery. And Saul Canelo Alvarez at number nine has got um, 55 professional fights total. You know, he doesn't even come close to these guys' uh, win total. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little uh, confused of how they do the uh, uh, the computer rankings, to be honest with you. Yeah, that is tough. And, yeah, you wonder what the criteria is. How does it stack them? How does it compile the data? Uh, one thing I did want to mention, and – Billy, see, this um, probably won't surprise you because um, you've uh, been involved in female boxing for a long time. Um, but one of the best, probably, at least I thought the best fight on the card last night was the female fight. And it was through uh, with two women who were very inexperienced. One was 0-2 out of Clearwater, Florida. Delaney Owen was her name. And the other was uh, making her pro debut, uh, Marissa Valencia of New Haven, Connecticut. She is one of these um, two-sport fighters uh, because she had fought for CES previously for their MMA division. Uh, fight. It was just a four-rounder. I thought it was probably a uh, a draw, but they gave it all to the New Haven fight. Gave all you know. It's kind of not surprising to see that. However, uh, it was the typical. The reason why it was so much fun is you had um, uh, Owen in the boxer role and you had Valencia coming forward in that uh, aggressive puncher role. And no matter how you slice it, that always makes for a fun, engaging match. And, uh, and this you know, had people, as usual, the, uh, both women were slugging right to the bell and uh, the crowd was going nuts. And it was like the first pro fight of the night. There was also some an amateur fights on the card. Jeez, that was a long, it sounds like a long night for you. It was a long night. We got, <laughs> we got there at uh, 5.30, and um, we got home at, yeah, it was like 10 after 1. Yeah, I was, I was long in my feety pajamas by then. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Alex, great job as usual. And uh, we will not be doing uh, – Next week, you know, after all of these technical issues, then we got the holiday next week. But uh, um, anyway, we'll be looking forward to you when we come back the week after. Sounds good. Hey, I just wanted to throw in there that, um, yeah, Tyson Fury, as much as, you know, like you and Dax covered, you do have to take into account who he was up against. But uh, I tell you, he looks sensational. Um, it's unfortunate these uh, – heavyweights aren't fighting each other but we right now um should be grateful because we have four guys we've got a pure slugger 
We've got the guy who looked like he might have had it all in Anthony Joshua that, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Then you got a, a, an amazing stylist in Fury. And the guy who might be the best fighter is the cherubic-looking uh, chubby Mexican. Who <laughs> I saw Springs Toledo up there, and he wrote a really nice article about Andy Ruiz's win uh, up in Canastota. And he said... The guy couldn't look mean if he tried. I know, I know. Hey, speaking of heavyweights, you know, I, everything goes back to heavyweight for me. And I, I, for kicks, I wanted to see how the computer uh, generated the all-time heavyweight top 50. And they have Muhammad Ali, number one. Uh, your new roommate, Joe Lewis, at number two. All right. But here's where it starts to get a little crazy. Evander Holyfield at number three. Listen. Evander was a great fighter, and, and I, I, I can't take anything away from him. But number three, here's another shocker. At number four, Floyd Patterson. Oh, come on. I mean, I love Floyd. He was one of the nicest guys I ever met in person. But he was no way the fourth best heavyweight in the world. Rocky is, is number five. Larry Holmes, number six. Gene Tunney, number seven. Jack Johnson, all the way down at number eight. Followed by Vladimir Klitschko at number nine. Joe Frazier, 10. Sam Lankford, who many think should be number one, is number 11. Jack Dempsey, number 17. Um, Sonny Liston, number 18. So, uh, you know, Tyson Fury is already in at number 31. Behind, already in there at number 24, David Hay. Uh, Andy Ruiz made the cut. He's at number 43 already. James Jeffries. Where was Larry Holmes? Larry Holmes, number six. Um, James Jeffries, who uh, many people believe were was the greatest heavyweight of all time. Really, a lot of a lot of uh, people uh, say it. I mean, considering that he retired uh, originally because they felt no one was good enough to step in the ring with him, he's at number forty-eight in the top fifty. So, uh, so you know, my my my. Respect for the computer rankings is really taking a hit uh, after this week. I'll tell you that, to be honest with you. Yeah, but uh, yeah. anyway, Alex, it was great uh, chatting with you. And uh, uh, thanks for the blow-by-blow with Chad Dawson because I was on the edge of my seat for that one. And uh, we'll look forward to it next time, brother. All right? Thank you, Billy Z. Take care. All please. right, take it easy. That's, uh, that's my man, uh, uh, Alex Papali. Listen, we're going to take a short break. When we get back... We're scheduled to have uh, Emily Harney join us. Uh, so uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where... Back, you're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us and joining us right now. 
Wherever she is, it looks like it's beautiful weather out because it's certainly not like that here. Uh, boxing's best photographer, Emily Harney, joins us. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. How are you? Oh, good. Are you? Where are you? Do you want to know? Let me see if I can flip this camera around. I don't know if I, I can I mean, you're, you're not... Oh, I was going to say, because it looks beautiful. Where, where, where did, What fights were you at last night? Uh, uh, I was in Rhode Island last night. I'm currently, though, in Beverly, Massachusetts, right on the border of Beverly and Salem. So no. this, is our, uh, this is our backyard. So Nice, nice. Not bad. Yeah, yeah it's very nice. Uh, tell us about the Joseph Parker fight. I mean, uh, if you were ring-sized for that in, uh, in Providence, um, I thought that it was a decent matchup between between him and Lupai, um, he came on and, and stopped him in the uh, 10th round. Tell us about the fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lupai took some really big shots early, and, and quite a few of them. Um, if Parker, I think, had followed up with a few more um, in between those big shots, I think that fight would have been stopped sooner. Um, you know, not that Leopold couldn't take the punches. He is definitely a, a durable, worthy individual to be in there with him. Um, and to be honest with you, after going through the media workout, I didn't expect that fight to go as long as it did. Um, you know, watching Leopold kind of come over with these massive right overhand punches uh, to his trainer, I thought Parker may have capitalized on that. But he wasn't really able to do that as much last night with Parker. Um both of them landed some nice thuds, um, but you know it was it was really just he was a, a durable opponent for Parker, and you know I, I don't think he was anybody that was really in his way. Um, but it was it was a worthy matchup in comparison to what I expected from the media workout. Um, so it, it was decent. You know, Joseph Parker. Uh, was a world champion. He kind of hit the scene uh, kind of quickly and, and then was out. Um, he's trying to get back into the mix. And I, I personally looked at him as a, as a fighter who is young and, and, and is learning. And now we're trying to see him get back into the conversation. Do you feel that he, he is? Do you feel that, you know, his last several fights, uh, uh, climbing back up, so if you will, uh, and then obviously the fight last night, is he getting better? Is he is he making a statement that he does belong in the conversation, or does he still need some work? No, I mean I, I think there's a little bit of both there, you know, because you got to look at who do you have as opponents that you can get in the ring with and dance with, and we know, of course, you know that the big names that everybody wants in the heavyweight division, but you know who do you have to fight to get there? And I think this was one of those one of those steps that he had to take. Um, you didn't want to see him fight just somebody who came in to get the paycheck. You wanted somebody who was going to at least put up a fight and make him work for it. And he, he had to do that last night. You know, so I think he's going to get himself in the mix. Um, I, I don't think there'll be a problem there. Like you said, he's young. They just need to keep him active. And so how do you keep him active? You know, with, with four four, five, maybe six names that are, are viable in this business and all of those guys, majority of them, are lined up to fight somebody else or hopefully to fight somebody else. So, you know, you got to look at who is available that he could fight, who would put him in the right position to get him back into the title contention. There's certainly opportunity, but it's like timing is everything right now um, and you don't want to sit around too long and wait for a Joshua or a White or a Fury or a Wilder because we know that these guys are going to have to fight other individuals before they fight Parker. 
um, unless they, they think, oh, Parker will be an uneasy fight on an in-between. Um, and I don't think that's the case, you know, because he's hungry and he wants it just as much as anybody else. And so coming around on your second opportunity, you're not going to, you know, pull any punches. You want to hang it all out there. He's uh, he's he's he has been somewhat busy uh, on his return, so we'll be looking forward to that. Um, main event: Demetrius Andre. Um, uh, Want to? Uh, he's a boring fighter, Emily. I mean, you know, in the first round, I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I and I was here. I am on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, he drops. I, and and I was impressed that he even dropped Saluki because Saluki's pretty tough guy, you know. And I'm like, oh, finally. He's going to let his hands go. He's going to have some excitement. I, you know, he's going to be in the mix. And I start thinking about, oh, he could fight this way. He could fight. And then I, I woke up. Uh, I, I felt literally fell asleep. I mean, I, I just I had to rewind just to just to see what the outcome was to go to distance. I mean, I, is he, he's just too cautious. I, I'm, is it what's your thoughts? Tell, tell me yeah. I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong, please. <laughs> Now, you know, it's funny, like the third round, uh, and I was excited in the first round too, so I'm like, all right, all right, got to shoot a lot because this might, you know, end quickly and, you know, really pay attention to what's happening here and really, you know, stay on my game. And then by the third round, I'm like, I'm having a flashback to Boston right now where things are starting to pucker out and he's starting to fight really from the outside, those few punches, get away, a few punches, be a little awkward, fight really low, um, you know, and, and how long can you do that for? You know, he had a good crowd there last night who was excited. And, you know, maybe they'll follow him again for another fight because they haven't seen as much as we have in terms of this is what we keep getting from him. Um, but what happens when you fight a Canelo? What happens when you fight somebody that's going to cut the ring off from you? Um, Suleiki didn't do that to him last night. And I was kind of hoping he would. And I don't know if he was afraid to get in the mix after getting hit with that shot. Like, he really felt that. So... He thought, well, you know, I'm just going to fight here from the outside and let him dictate how this goes and get in where I can. Because when he did get in on the inside of him, he was able to land some punches. He was even able to land some punches from the outside, but it was much more difficult. So, uh, you know, it, I heard somebody go, well, he was crafty. No, it wasn't crafty. You know, crafty is exciting and crafty is fun to watch. And by the fifth or sixth round, you were kind of like... Yeah, he uh, he just uh, he, I've I've been waiting for him to to just step it up, you know, in terms of excitement level. Um, and I I also watched the uh, Jamal Charlo fight. Now Charlo is a guy who tries to be exciting and tries to be busy, um, just has never really fought anybody. And I actually thought that a matchup between uh, Jamal Charlo and Demetrius. Would would actually be a good matchup because I I would think that Charlo would try to pull uh, some excitement from Andre and 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 I'm trying to believe that if the opponent wanted it, Andre could possibly do it. Am I wrong to think that? I that's, mean, you know, that's what I want to believe too, one hundred percent. And 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 it's because you know who have we seen him in there with people that you know like maybe can mix it up a little bit but might be afraid based on you know what they've heard about him I, I don't know but I think you need somebody who really isn't afraid to press the action and just get in there with him and force him to fight on the inside um you know it, it, 12 rounds of fighting on the outside is is like who's going to do that in the middleweight division that's in your top top 
top guys. I don't I don't see Canelo doing that. I don't see Triple G doing that. I don't see either of them being worried about getting hit by somebody like Andre because they've been hit before. Um, and it, I, Charlo and him would be a great fight if they can actually make it happen. Maybe they will press the action. Maybe they will force each other. And that's the thing. Like, I don't want to poo-poo Andre too much because, you know, we haven't seen anybody really go in there and press against him. And so that's what we need to see. We need to see, can he be tested? Can he take the, the chin hit? Um, and we don't know that yet. So as, 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 as snoozy as he can be, I want to believe that it's still in there. And I've wanted to believe this from the amateur days with him, that, you know, he's got it in him to really be great. And even just with the people, he has the ability to do that. But for whatever reason, it, it lacks. You know, he was more exciting earlier on, and, and that's what captivated me and hooked me to be a fan, but he's he's let me down these last several years. The other thing I noticed uh, with Demetrius in his fight uh, last night was that he seemed so much bigger than Saluki, and that could have, uh, you know, been a good explanation of why he fought cautiously, but as he moves in that division, should the, the fights that we're talking about ever be made, he's not going to be that much bigger Will that make a difference with his style, in your opinion? No, I don't think it'll make a difference because I think he's starting to like really kind of feel himself in that size range. And that was something we talked about prior to the fight is that he is a, a bigger guy. He's, he's more um, meaty, if you will, and muscular, if you will. So how hard is it to move like that? But I think he's really coming into his own. That's one thing with him, like his team strength and conditioning and, and nutrition-wise really seem to be on point. I don't know if, if weight was a factor at all for him for this. He came in at 159.9, but I think we all lost pounds sitting outside in Providence this week. Um, so, you know, it's one thing that you haven't heard with him that weight has been an issue. But whatever he did conditioning-wise is making him, you know, certainly seem like a bigger fighter. Um, but, you know, he seems to make weight. I heard that he's on a uh, eat fresh menu from uh, Mexico. He gets a lot of beef from uh, from Canelo Center, <laughs> but or stay fresh, whatever the heck it is. Anyway, hey, at least uh, they at least they're eating the same thing, right? <laughs> the same. <laughs> yeah, but they, then it evens it up. But when you look at the when you look at the computer rankings in the middleweight division, I you know up until I really looked and it, and I'll be honest, I, I really started analyzing it um, early early this morning. And I, I, I always started a middleweight division, like, you know, we're talking about the heavyweight division, you know, being exciting. And I said, oh, the middleweight division, oh, it's exciting. It's not, because there's only three guys in the division that separate themselves from the rest of the division. That's Canelo, Triple G, and Danny Jacobs. Then you got you got uh, Charlo at number four. Demetrius Andre yep. is sitting at number seven. And like you just alluded to, it, you know, Charlo who's a WBC guy, Andre, the WBO guy, that kind of eliminates the possibility of those two guys fighting. You got wild cards in between them and Jeff Horn and David Lemieux. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing either one of those guys fight either one of either um, uh, Andre or Charlo. But is it possible? You know, with, 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 is it possible with the way the uh, sanctioning bodies control everything is my point. Uh, I think anything's possible. You know, I mean, we've seen what Matchroom's done so far. I feel like they're willing to make things happen um, for whatever they need to. And it's not like, you know, they're they're buying somebody. They're legitimately making these fights happen because they need to happen. 
um, and they should happen. And there are guys that are on the in-between, like you said, those wild cards that, you know, are, are in the mix too. So they're deserving of it. You don't want to see them fighting somebody that, you know, they just walk right over. Um, you want these fights to be lucrative. People are paying good money to go and see these fights. But you're right, those, those that, you know, top six, seven, eight fighters, it's it's very minimal. And who do you have coming up in that division? Not many. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody who's at 154 right now, you know, that you're going, oh, well, they're going to be great at middleweight. This is, this is excellent. Um, I don't see anybody coming up. So, you know, I think your mix is going to be slim right now, and you hope that they can make these few fights that need to happen happen. The other thing here is that you get these guys fighting once, twice a year. And so you could stretch this out, but they're all getting older, you know, so how long can you stretch it out for? People talk about, oh, the rematch with this one and the rematch with that one. Well, if you have fights in the way, you're, you're out a year before that rematch even happens, if that. Great point. And considering the two fights we're talking about in the middleweight division right now, um, Demetrius Andrade, he fought, um, his opponent was ranked, uh, where is he, um, number number 10 he mm -hmm. was ranked number 10 and by the computer i mean you know and, and such a discrepancy there and then charlo's um opponent was actually ranked number 14 so mm -hmm. i mean it just shows you hey one last uh, uh question i got for you before you can go and enjoy uh your, your, the scenery there is manny pacquiao against keith thurman thurman is coming out with some crazy stuff i actually kind of like this fight because I, I think Thurman has been regressing. Um, he has not looked good in his last couple of fights, and, and even Jose, Josito Lopez hurting him. Uh, even Manny Pacquiao at 40 years old, I, I think, is, is going to give Thurman all kinds of trouble. But Thurman coming out saying, and, and I, I'm sure we could you know, chalk some of it up to try to help sell tickets, but saying that you know, he's going to stop Pacquiao early on within five rounds, uh, that's wishful thinking, in my opinion. What's your early thoughts on that matchup? <laughs> it's great to be confident, right? Uh, um, I, I, I'm not going to knock him for that, but you know, you got a guy who's who's been in there with everybody, and he's got a resume that you know people would kill for. Um, and I have no doubt that Thurman's going to bring everything he possibly can because you know this is your this is your stage. This is really your biggest name and your biggest fight to date. When you think about you know who else you've been in there, yeah, there've been other great matchups, but like in terms of names and in terms of getting your name in that mix of okay, I fought Manny Pacquiao. This is a big deal. Um, I, I think he's definitely got an opportunity to beat Pacquiao, but I don't see him stopping him and in five rounds I don't see him stopping him at all unless there's some sort of cut or something like that I, I just think Pacquiao is well I feel like he's going to be able to find his way out of it yeah I I my early uh my early thoughts is that Pacquiao's hand speed even at 40 and the fact that he punches from all those crazy angles is uh, going to give Thurman all kinds of trouble. Uh, he's not going to know. He, he's going to be in there and say to himself, man, he's never seen anything like this before. But uh, uh, in any event. And, and you know what? He should. I mean, that's what he what he needs, you know. And I think that's what all these guys need is that opportunity to see something that they haven't seen before so that they are challenged. And, you know, that's the same thing with Andre. You know, you want to see him pressed. You want to see him you know, take a few shots to see what, what do you got, you know, because we haven't seen that. You're right. 
Well, I, w I wish I was with you right now. It looks beautiful there, and uh, we'll look forward to you next time. We are off next week. I know we've been, we've been having all this trouble, and uh, I was like remembering, oh, that's right. We're not even on next week, you know, but, uh, uh, but the week after we'll be looking forward to you. All right, I'll find a new location for that yeah. one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. I'm, I'm not, now I'm going to be jonesing for wherever the next place is going to be, better than where you are. But, Emily, have a good one. Have a good one, guys. That's uh, Emily Harney, boxing's best photographer, uh, uh, in a much nicer place than I'm at right now. But uh, in any event, I got another email. Oh, you know what I want to talk about real quick? Uh, a couple of weeks back, we had the, the fight. We're, we were alluding to some issues with this fight now. Uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. against Anthony Joshua. And during that fight, there was uh, a round uh, in which there was a lot of discrepancy over the scoring. And, at, you know, when I came on air and I said that uh, I would have scored that round. Now, if you recall, it was the round that uh, Anthony Joshua knocked um, Andy Ruiz down once, but Andy Ruiz knocked down Anthony Joshua twice. Uh, and uh, Joshua was lucky to survive that round. At the end, uh, the commentators were saying that the, it was scored 10-8 and Chris Maddox 10-8. And everybody 10-8. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, wait a minute. That's not 10-8. And I came up with 9-7. And um, I talked about that on the show. And everybody said, oh, Billy C., you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. So I started thinking twice. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. Uh, well, I reached out to Larry Hazard. Now, Larry Hazard's a Hall of Fame uh, judge and referee. Not to mention he's the current... Uh, New Jersey State Athletic Commission. And I, and I wanted to make sure that um, what he and I had discussed over the years, many times as a matter of fact, is how to properly score a fight. And a round, I should say. And one of the problems that we keep talking about with the sport of boxing today is the fact that the judges um, all know the scoring criteria but don't seem to prioritize it the same way. Therefore, like for example, one judge may... Um, score a, a round for a fighter because he threw more punches, uh, whereas another one would score a round for a fighter who, who landed the harder shots um, or has a, a formula in their head how many hard shots equal, I mean, how many little shots equal a hard shot. But anyway, the way it scored is exactly how I tried telling you guys. 10-point must system. And by the way, if you look up the definition of the 10-point must system, not even because the WBC put it together originally. So it's in the WBC rules. Uh, and it's also even on Wikipedia uh, as per the WBC. But a 10-point must system means simply this, that you have to score 10 points for the winner of a round and uh, at least nine points for the loser of a round initially. This is, this is where the confusion comes in, initially. Now, let me just take a step back. What used to happen... Uh, was that a referee would score by the round. I'd give it nine rounds to, to three, you know, uh, or, or whatever. And it created a, a lot of issues. Uh, plus, it also created the fact that, you know, uh, who did really well in the last part of the round seems to stick in your mind. And it, when you're scoring by the rounds, a lot of times uh, uh, they would score it in that favor. Um, and I said referee because the referee used to be the one who scored it, but then even judges went to, to that round system. Then they came to the 10 points. So you start off with a fight. You got fighter A against fighter B. Fighter A wins the round, okay? 
10-9. So you start your score with 10-9. So in this particular fight, uh, Andy Ruiz uh, won, in my opinion, won the round. Okay, so you start the score with 10-9. Then you must subtract a point from Andy Ruiz because he hit the deck. You don't just uh, avoid that. He has to be deducted a point for hitting the deck, just like if he was deducted a point for, for a foul or hitting below to, uh, hitting behind the head. Whatever a referee deducts a point, it would have been taken, it off, taken off then. So you start off with 10-9. You subtract the point from Andy Ruiz because he hit the deck. Now you're at 9-9. But you got to go over to the other side of the ledger, and uh, Anthony Joshua hit the deck not once but twice. So you subtract two points. The way that round should have been scored was 9-7. And somebody asked me, well, all three of the judges uh, had it. They must be wrong. Yes, they're wrong. They don't know how to score. It That round should have been scored 9-7. And I just wanted to you know, congratulate myself for being right uh, because uh, I was starting to second-guess my own knowledge. But uh, anyway, 9-7 is the way it should have been scored. Uh, fighter wins around, they get 10. If it's no knockdowns, it's 10-9. If a fighter gets beaten from one end of the ring to the other, no knockdowns, some judges will score at 10-8, which I support. Okay, but a fighter that wins the round gets 10, the loser gets whatever, and then you start the deduction of points, either by knockdowns or fouls. 9-7 was the correct way to score that round. Uh, it, either way, it doesn't matter. Andy Ruiz won the fight. Speaking of Andy Ruiz, we got a, uh, an email from John out of the UK. He says, I want to say congratulations to Andy Ruiz, who deserves his victory over AJ. Uh, Ruiz signed to fight Anthony Joshua when guys like Wilder, Fury, uh, White, and Ortiz all turned down the offers. He then goes on the win in a decisive uh, fashion. Uh, Andy Ruiz was the better man on June 1st. He says, I think AJ has shown the class in defeat as he congratulated Andy and made no excuses. Tyson Fury has also shown class by sending AJ a message of support. Uh, unfortunately, some of the other fighters who turned down the opportunity failed to show the same level of, of class. I will mention that after this email uh, arrived, um, Fury has been uh, talking smack about AJ. He says, before the Mayweather era, boxers weren't judged by having a perfect record. Ali's career defining fight at least in the second part of his career was the rumble in the jungle when he came back uh, from losses to Kenny Norton and Joe Frazier however everybody remembers Ali for defeating uh, George Foreman perhaps the only fight that was bigger uh, than the rumble in the jungle in the 20th century was Joe Lewis against Max Schmeling too if Lewis hadn't lost to Schmeling in the first fight would it have had the same impact I agree with you, John, and the answer is no, it would not have. He says Joshua has already shown his class by not making excuses, whilst others have written him off and scrambled to make excuses on his behalf. We will now find out what his true potential was in the rematch and see if he can pass through one of the hardest tests and come back from a defeat or uh, be labeled as simply overrated. Whatever the outcome of the rematch, Andy Ruiz's valiant victory has put the heavyweights back in the news worldwide, and I believe it's good for boxing. I do too, John. Thank you for the email. I agree with you. One last email I want to catch up on is from my man, Jeff. He says, uh, Anthony Joshua, he lost. A loss in the heavyweight boxing. Uh, let's see what he's truly made of now. He handled it like a man. He gave full credit to Ruiz. Let's see how he performs next. Tyson never was the same. 
Lewis gained sweet revenge. Klitschko was a complete change and then remained at the top of the division for over a decade. Actually, history shows underdogs have their brief time, then fade away. Maybe Ruiz will break the pattern. We will see. This will be a big, uh, thanks for the email, Jeff. Uh, we will see because I think it's going to be uh, a big uh, a big issue uh, for AJ. I personally think he underestimated Andrew Ruiz. And uh, one thing about AJ that I have said uh, for a long time now, um, Anthony Joshua has a tendency to have trouble against shorter fighters. And I say shorter, either Andrew Ruiz is a monster compared to me, but uh, six foot four and shorter is trouble for AJ. So hopefully he'll get some better sparring. Uh, with some shorter guys and uh, learn how to uh, not only protect himself, uh, but, uh, you know, punch downward in a devastating fashion like the Klitschko's learned. The other thing he's going to have to do is do something with his training. Um, he looks like he's in great shape, but he was huffing and puffing. This guy was out uh, long before Ruiz finished the job. But uh, in any event, uh, we will be, I apologize for the uh, uh, delay in shows. Uh, we did have uh, some upgrades with uh our uh, system, and it, it is a pretty uh, expansive system that we run here. And uh, we finally got all the bugs out, uh, but unfortunately next week uh, is a holiday. So uh, catch up on some of the old shows on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash TalkinBoxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. Or uh, don't forget to check out our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week uh, television channel. It's on Roku and all the other major streaming devices. Uh, go through GinecoUSA.com, sign up, make sure you enter the code uh, Billy C, and uh, check out the programming on Mondays and Tuesdays. We have previous versions of this particular show. All 24 hours on Wednesday is all blast from the past. It's a great uh, day to watch. Um, Thursdays is a mixture of everything. And then Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, uh, we focus on our specials. Uh, live events we've done and special events, including uh, the Revisited series. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss it. Go check it out. Hey, listen, boys and girls, uh, have a safe week. And for all the Americans that like to blow off fireworks uh, beginning last night from uh, where I am, uh, be careful. Don't blow your hands off. And uh, we'll see you uh, in two weeks. We've got Jeffrey Sussman scheduled to come on to talk about uh, his new book, Boxing in the Mob. Uh, so uh, make sure you tune in. Hey, uh, make sure. You tune in next time. Same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.